Well, as Sarah said, I am the mother of two adorable, wonderful children. I'm not biased at all, not in the slightest, but they are great. I'm very blessed by my kids. And my husband and I had a new parenting challenge this year. And it came about because one of my kids was getting bullied at school. You know, it's very, it was very sad. And along with trying to navigate that and figuring out what to do as a mom in that situation, I was surprised by people's reaction to what was happening. I, for various reasons, I had the occasion to tell people what was going on, and, and people's reactions kind of ran the gamut. I had some people who, you might not be surprised, expressed compassion and concern. I had others, who, people who expressed indignation, others who expressed anger, and even people who wanted to exact revenge on the bully. And that was from someone who didn't even know my son. And it was surprising to me to see these reactions. And it made me realize that if people have that kind of reaction, when someone is being opposed for really no apparent reason, how strong the temptation must be to have similar visceral reactions when people are being opposed for the cause of Christ. And that's what Paul turns to in 1 Thessalonians. So if you haven't already, turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, starting in verse 13, and we're going to read through verse 16. And Paul writes this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you brothers became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus, Christ Jesus that are in Judea. For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved. So as always to fill up the measure of their sins, but God's wrath has come upon them at last. The first thing that we might notice as we're reading this passage, and Paul is writing to the Thessalonians and talking about the opposition and the persecution that they are experiencing is that the persecution did not surprise Paul. There's no astonishment in this. There's no shock and awe. There's just simply a matter of fact statement. You are being persecuted just as the Christians in Judea were being persecuted for the cause of Christ. Similarly, you and I need to, point one, expect opposition when you follow Christ. Paul is very quick to compare what the Thessalonians are going through with what the Christians in Judea went through and are going through. Just like the Judean Christians, the Thessalonians are being persecuted by their countrymen. 
because for the sole reason that they were being faithful followers, that they were being disciples of Jesus Christ. And Paul knew what he was talking about. Because if you know much about Paul, you probably know this. He formally was one of those people who was persecuting Christians. So he knew what it was like to go after people because they were faithfully following Christ. He knew what motivated these individuals to persecute people because they named the name of Jesus. This didn't surprise him that people would do this because he had been that person. And then God redeemed him and the persecutor became the persecuted. So not only was Paul the persecutor of Christians, but then he became persecuted for the cause of Christ. You guys, if you know his story, Paul was imprisoned. Paul was ridiculed. Paul was thrown out of town. Paul became persecuted. And he knew that just like he was being persecuted and just like the Christians in Judea were being persecuted, the Thessalonians would be persecuted too. For no other reason than that they had committed to faithfully following God. So Paul was not surprised by this. He wasn't astonished that they were experiencing opposition. And Jesus himself prepared his followers. He says in John 16, 33, if this world, in this world, you will have trouble. Jesus told his disciples, you shouldn't expect everything to come up sunshine and roses. It won't be butterflies and rainbows. You will have trouble in this world. It's not when, it's not there's a possibility. You will have trouble. But then he says, take heart. I have overcome the world. In John 15, 18, Jesus made the statement even more clearly. He said, if they hate you, if the world works in opposition to you because you say that you are mine, remember, they hated me first. If the Lord and Savior of this world was not, was not didn't, had people opposed him, if the Lord and Savior of this world was not set aside from getting persecuted, then what makes us think that as his followers, that we will not have the same experience? They took our Lord and Savior and they nailed him to a cross. We should expect that as we faithfully follow him, the world is going to oppose us as well. If they hated me, Jesus said, they're going to hate you. So we shouldn't be surprised, just like Paul was not surprised that the Thessalonians were being persecuted. We shouldn't be surprised that there are people, that this world is going to work in opposition to the cause of Christ. Our savior was opposed. And from that time, his followers have been opposed simply because they follow him. Now, I think it's important to have a bit of a sidebar here because there's a very specific type of opposition that Paul is dealing with in this passage. He is not saying, hey, sometimes Thessalonians, people just aren't gonna like you. He is not saying, hey, you know, sometimes people are gonna treat you unfairly. That is true. Sometimes people aren't gonna like you. Sometimes people aren't gonna treat you fairly. But what Paul is talking about here is being persecuted 
because you name the name of Jesus. Being opposed because you are Christ's disciple. He's not saying, hey, you know, when you get cut off on the freeway, you're being persecuted. Or you think that everyone, the only true type of coffee is drip coffee, pour over coffee, I'm sorry, pour over coffee. And your friend thinks, you know what, it's just fine to drink Folgers. And when you experience the opposition that comes from that differences of opinion, you're being persecuted. He's not saying that. This isn't, you are going to have trouble in this world simply because we live in a sinful world and people have differences of opinion. People have different preferences. People are unkind. And when you experience those things, let us be wise and not claim them as persecution, not think that people are opposing us because we're Christians, unless they're actually opposing us because we're Christians. If, they, if you're experiencing opposition simply because of a difference of opinion, and that opinion is not rooted in the scripture, if you're being opposed because of who you are and not because of who Christ is and what his word says, be very careful claiming that you're being persecuted. Because when we see persecution everywhere, when every slight of against, that is against us, we say, oh, it's because I'm a Christian. There's two problems that can arise. The first is when we think we're being persecuted when someone cuts us off on the freeway or someone doesn't like our world-renowned apple pie or whatever it may be, when we think that's persecution, we are unlikely to respond rightly to true persecution. Ladies, there are people around the world who risk their very lives because they follow Jesus. Simply by saying that they are a Christian, they can be imprisoned. They can be taken away from their families. They could be put to death. And when we see persecution in every single thing that we encounter that seems like a slight or an opposition, we don't take seriously what true persecution is. Now, I'm not saying that the only persecution is when your life is at stake. But let us make sure that when we say we're experiencing opposition, we're experiencing persecution for the cause of Christ, it is for the cause of Christ. The second problem that can arise when we see every offense and every slight as persecution is it diminishes our witness to unbelievers. Because you know what? They get cut off on the freeway. Sometimes people don't like their beloved apple pie recipe. Sometimes people are unkind to them. And it is not because they claim the name of Jesus. And if we think everything's persecution, they're gonna look at us and they're gonna be like, no, it's not. I deal with those exact same things. And it's gonna diminish our witness it's gonna make us seem like we have this complex, of a victim complex. And we don't wanna do that. We should take persecution, we should take opposition for the cause of Christ seriously because God takes it seriously. But let us never think that every personal offense is because that we're a Christian. Let us put things in the proper category to make sure that we respond to each of them rightly. 
One of the reasons it's important that we take seriously opposition to Christ, opposition to Christ is because eternity is at stake. When someone opposes you because you oppose, because you follow Christ, when they say, I'm not going to be kind to you, I am not going to treat you well because you are a Christ follower, they are working in opposition against the Lord and Savior of this world. They are opposing Christ. It may feel like they're opposing you, I get that. But they are opposing the God and creator of this universe. Eternity is at stake when people oppose Christ. And we need to take that very seriously because how people respond to Christ is what truly matters. And it is what Paul directs our attention to in our passage. At the very beginning, he directs our attention to how the Thessalonians have responded to Christ. He says in verse 13, And we also thank God constantly, over and over. This is a constant, a frequent source of gratitude for Paul. That when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work. It continues to be at work in you believers. Similarly, we need to point to Give thanks when others follow Christ. We need to give thanks when others follow Christ. It was interesting in preparing to teach and reading commentaries from you know, very wise, learned scholars, there was quite a few of them who said, this, this section of scripture, this passage in the middle of Thessalonians seems a little like a detour. Like it's Pastor Paul's own little sidebar that he's having in his letter because it doesn't seem to be connected to what he was just talking about, about laboring for the gospel. But I don't think that's what's happening here. I don't think this is a detour, a distraction, a little bunny trail for the Apostle Paul. And the reason I don't think that is because of the third word in our passage. The third word is also. And we also thank God constantly. So Paul is continuing a thought that he has previously started. And when he started that thought was in chapter one, verse two. Chapter one, verse two, Paul tells them the first reason that they're giving thanks. He says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was thanking God frequently, repetitively, constantly, that the Thessalonians had come to repentance and faith and that they were continuing to labor, that they were continuing to bear fruit in their life. Paul is giving thanks that in the midst of the persecution that they are experiencing, that they are continuing to rightly respond to the word of truth. That the opposition is not thwarting their love for Christ that they are not shrinking back from their faithful commitment, that the gospel is still going out and people are responding in repentance and faith. 
And he says, we give thanks for that. We are grateful that God is bringing people from darkness into light, that he's snatching people out of hell and putting them in where a place where their destiny, their eternal destiny is secure. And this is a constant sort of source of thanks for Paul, recognizing that the persecution and the opposition that they are experiencing is not preventing God from accomplishing his good plan in Thessalonica. One of the challenge when we experience opposition, when we experience persecution, because we are cross follower, Christ followers, one of the challenges that can happen with that is we become very inward focused. It can cause us to focus on our suffering, to focus on how difficult things are, to focus on the fact that this is not right, that we are experiencing injustice. Rather than focus on what Christ is doing. And Paul quickly, in the midst of this discussion about persecution, he quickly puts the reader's attention back on God's work in their life. You may be experiencing persecution and opposition, Thessalonians. You may be feeling like the world is crashing down on you, but guess what? God has redeemed you. God has saved you from this world. So whatever heartache, whatever challenges you are currently experiencing, because you are my disciple, because you are Christ's disciple, guess what? Your eternity is secure. And so all of those things that you are currently going through that feel and may be really, really hard, all of those things do not matter in the grand scheme of things because at the end of the day, you are going to spend eternity with Christ. Paul had just discussed in the preceding verses in the passage that Bethany discussed last week how he and others had labored for the church. And he's reminding the Thessalonians that labor was not in vain because guess what? God saved you. God redeemed you from your sins because you rightly responded to the word of truth. I'm gonna give you a little behind the scenes peek on how we approach this teaching thing. And I, you guys know I, I teach the same lesson three times. And after the Tuesday morning lesson, Stephanie is very gracious in that she will sit with me. And I don't think it's just me, maybe, but she'll sit with me and she'll, <laughs> and she, she'll say like, this, this, this went well, maybe you could tweak this. And it's great because Stephanie has a perspective that you know she's working with the women of the church on a regular basis. And she has a perspective that I don't have. So I always appreciate that she is willing to give me that feedback. And yesterday, she, we sat after our Tuesday morning lesson and she said, you know, when you were talking about the fact that Paul was giving thanks for the Thessalonians, it made me think about what Paul was doing here. The Thessalonians already knew that they had been saved. This wasn't a surprise to them. In the first chapter, the Thessalonians already knew that, Paul, that God was at work in their lives, that they were bearing fruit. This wasn't a surprise to them. But Paul is taking the time to put quill to paper and to remind them what God is doing. 
Because in the midst of persecution, in the midst of opposition, our vision can get clouded. And we cannot see sometimes how God is at work among us. And Stephanie said to me, she said, you know, there's someone in our church who's really good at that. And I knew immediately who she was talking about because she happens to be my mom. If you don't know, Cherie Clark is my mom. I feel like everyone knows that because she makes it clear that, sure, that everyone knows that, but she is my mom. And when I go to her house, there's a pretty good chance that in her mailbox, there is a stack of cards ready to go out. Now you might think she's really good at writing birthday cards, and she is for her kids and her grandkids, but that's what not the stack of cards is. She regularly sends out letters, puts pen to paper to remind people of how God is using them. She sends it to the pastors. She sends it to the ministry leaders. She sends it to people that she just knows feels like the world is against them. And she says, take heart. God is at work. God has redeemed you and he's continuing to do a good work in your life. We should give thanks when others follow Christ, but let us not just give thanks in our own heart and in our own mind. Let's tell the other people that we're giving thanks for their faithful service to Christ. In Matthew, Jesus said that when others see your good deeds, they will give glory to God the Father. When you remind people, when you give public thanks, when you take the time to write a letter to say, you know what, God is at work in you and I see it. What encouragement, what motivation, what strengthening of the soul that gives to people when the world is against them because they are trying to live lives of obedience to our God and King. We need to make sure that we never take cavalierly the work of redemption that God is doing in our midst. You know, you might hear a testimony, you might go to baptisms, and you may hear how someone came to repentance of faith. You may be out on the patio and we might be like, oh, that's a cool story. Like, wow, you really were lost and God really saved you. And then we kind of just mentally move on with our day. Do we realize what God has done when others follow him? He has snatched them from death and put them into life. He has transferred their citizenship into heaven. He has redeemed them from the pits of hell. He is accomplishing a great and mighty work that only he can because he's redeeming people for his sake. Let us not ever think of that as something familiar because it is miraculous. It is astonishing that God would condescend in order to save his creation. And we need to give thanks when we witness that, when we see that, when we see that others are faithfully following him. One of the reasons that it's important for us to give thanks when others follow Christ is it because it reminds us of what truly matters. Because whatever opposition, whatever persecution they're experiencing, that's not what truly is significant. 
What matters is that they have been saved for eternity. And this turning our eyes to eternity is what Paul does for the Thessalonians. In the midst of the persecution that they're experiencing, after describing how they are imitating the churches of Judea because they also are being persecuted by their countrymen, in reminding them that Christ, their Lord and Savior, was also persecuted, he ends our passage with these words. But God's wrath has come upon them at last. In the end, one of the things that we can take heart in is that God's justice will be done. Similarly, you and I need to point through, point three, trust God to make everything right in the end. We need to trust God to make everything right in the end. Paul knew because he had gone through it, what the Thessalonians were dealing with. If you remember Stephanie's introductory lesson, they had, be, they had been experiencing persecution even when Paul was with them. He knew what they were up against. And yet he said, you know what? What you're dealing with is temporary, but in the end, God's justice will be done. Now, if we read this passage, we read verses 14 through 16, and that's all we know about the Apostle Paul, if all we read is how he's calling out the Jewish people for persecuting the churches in Judea and persecuting Christ, we may think that Paul is very anti-Jewish. We may think, well, Paul really seems to have it out for the Jewish people. And there's three things that we can remember that will inform our understanding to see that that's not the case. The first thing that's helpful to remember is that Paul was Jewish. So he's not like pointing his finger at other people, right? He is a person of Jewish descent. He is Jewish. So he's not anti-Jewish because that would mean being anti-himself, right? The second thing, as we look at Paul and we see, wow, he seems really harsh against the Jews, is we can remind ourselves that Paul himself considered that he was the chief among sinners. It says in 1 Timothy 1.15 that he himself was the foremost sinner. So Paul didn't think like, oh, they're really bad, but I'm good to go because I'm, I'm pretty right with God. He said, no, he himself was chief among sinners. The third thing that helps us understand this, this section a little bit more is that when Paul talks about the Jewish people, he's not talking about a particular ethnicity or nationality. He's trying to identify who the persecutors are. And who the persecutors are in Judea were the Jewish religious leaders. And he's saying, these are the people, just like you Thessalonians are being persecuted by your countrymen, so the Christians in Judea who were former Jews are being persecuted by their countrymen. They're being persecuted by the religious leaders. And Paul is reminding the Thessalonians that God's work on this earth has always been met with opposition. Jesus himself was opposed. Jesus was feeding people and healing people. He was teaching, he was sacrificing sleep. He was literally pouring himself out and he was opposed and persecuted. But that persecution of God's son did not 
thwart his plan. It did not prevent God from accomplishing his purposes. In fact, God used the persecution that Jesus experienced to provide a way of salvation. In the end, God's justice will be done. Those who oppose Christ unto the end will be met with his anger and his condemnation. And I should add his just anger and condemnation. We need to trust that whatever opposition we experience on earth because of the cause of Christ, it is temporary. Because in the end, God wins. In the end, God's will will be done. In the end, justice will prevail. The scripture tells us the gates of hell cannot come up against the church. They will not prevail against the work that God is doing. God will accomplish his purpose. His justice will reign. So every impediment that we experience in the meantime, it's nothing in comparison to what he is doing in the long run. And it may be easy to say, okay, I should trust in God, but what does that practically look like? And I have three ways that we can practically show that we trust God to make everything right in the end. The first one is to resist the temptation to avenge yourself. We need to resist the temptation to avenge ourselves. I don't know if you've noticed, I've noticed in my own life, I'm very quick to come to my own defense, right? Someone says like, well, I think you shouldn't have done that way. And I'm like, no, no, let me explain to you why I did it this way, right? Like, oh, that's not the best way to get there. Nope, it is, let me tell you why. That's not how you should hold a towel. Yep, it is, let me tell you why. Like, I'm very quick to justify my own actions. But here's the problem, or here's the challenge. When it comes to being opposed for the cause of Christ, we know that God is on our side. We know that justice will be done. It is not our responsibility. It is not a task that he has given us to avenge ourselves, to make sure that people see things his way. That doesn't mean we don't speak the truth. We do speak the truth. But if we're doing it to defend ourselves and not defend him, then we need to stop. We need to say God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And it's not about me, it's about him. And I need to make sure that I'm not taking any matters into my own hands because God has said, vengeance is mine. His justice will be done. And unless he has given us the authority because of a specific role or responsibility that he has bestowed upon us, he does not intend for us to be his conduits of justice. Again, unless there's a specific role or responsibility that we have, he has said, I will take care of it. In the end, I will make everything right. You don't need to do it. You don't need to worry about yourself because the God of the universe has your back if you are faithfully following him. The second thing that we need to do in order to demonstrate our trust in God is we need to pray for those who oppose us. We need to pray for those who oppose us. 
And more importantly, we need to pray for those who oppose Christ. You know, one of the reasons Paul was such a wonderful tool in the hands of God in bringing people to repentance and faith is because people knew what he had formerly been. Formerly, he was working against God, and now he was working for God. Formerly, he had been the persecutor, and now he was the persecuted. People knew the radical transformation that Paul had experienced. And because God had done such a great work in him, they paid attention to what he said. Could you imagine the magnificent impact could be, that could be had on this earth if the people who oppose Christ experience the same type of radical transformation? Whether those people are in your circle of influence or we're talking about political leaders or celebrities or other people who actively work against the cause of Christ and we pray for them and God uses those prayers to accomplish his redemptive work in their lives, could you imagine the impact that they could have And could you imagine how good it will feel to stand in heaven and have Jesus said, because you faithfully prayed for this person, because you faithfully petitioned God on this person's behalf, I accomplished at work in their life to bring them from death unto life. I used your prayers to accomplish my salvific work in them. We need to pray for those who oppose Christ. And we, you might be thinking, Natalie, you don't know who you're talking about. My brother, my grandpa, my community leader, they hate Christians. They will never come to Christ. You know who people thought would never come to Christ? Paul. He stood and watched as people stoned Stephen. He was condoning and actively working against the Christians. And he was condoning them being mistreated. People thought he was the last person. He was the Pharisee of Pharisees. He was the last person that you would think would come to repentance and faith. And yet God accomplished that in his life. And we need to pray, we need to petition God that he would continue to accomplish that work and those who oppose him. The third thing that we need to do may be the hardest. And that is, in order to show our trust in God, we need to show love to those who persecute you. You need to show love to those who persecute you. You may be thinking, that's really, really hard. And it is. And you may be thinking, they really, really don't deserve it. And I'm willing to acquiesce that point. But you know who also didn't deserve love? Every one of us who has been saved. But Romans 5, 8 through 10 tells us, God loved us and reconciled us to himself while we were still his enemies. You were not neutral before you became a Christian. It may have seemed like you were, but you were not, you were God's enemy. And God loved you so much, he sent his son 
down on the earth as a humble baby to be condemned, to be mocked, to be ridiculed, to be persecuted, to be crucified for your sake because that is how much he loved you and that is how much he loved me. And if we've experienced such great love that we so richly do not deserve, the very least that we can do is to pour out those love, pour out that love to those who are persecuting us for the cause of Christ. Paul did this. Paul said in Romans 9, three through five, he loved the Jewish people so much. He loved those who were persecuting him so much. He said, I wish I could trade my citizenship in heaven so that they might be saved. He was willing to do an exchange for his eternal destiny because of his great love for those who did not know Christ. Christ loved us so much that he sent his son to die for our sins, to pay a penalty he did not deserve, to be crucified, to be humiliated, to be ridiculed. That is how much he loved us while we were still sinners. We need to show that same love to those who oppose him, to those who persecute us for his sake. I told you that there were a variety of reactions to my son being bullied at school. But one of them was the most surprising to me. And it was the reaction of the person who reported to me what was going on. It was my other kid. She was very concerned for her brother. So she came and she told me what was happening. And then she went home and she sat down. She got out her paper and she got out her crayons and she started making a sign. And I said, sweetie, what are you doing? And she explained to me that she was making a sign to remind herself and to remind her brother to be kind to the bully. Because in her six-year-old way, she recognized that the most powerful impact that she could have was to show love and kindness to someone who opposed her very loved brother. Can you imagine the impact that it will have when we respond rightly, when we're persecuted for the cause of Christ? Can you imagine the significance of what our words and our actions can be when we say, God, I trust you to take care of it. In the end, your justice will be done. I will not try to avenge myself but I will give thanks that you are still at work, that you are accomplishing your purposes. And I'm gonna show love, I'm gonna pray for those who oppose me because of you, because I trust that your will will be done. When we respond to persecution in ways that glorify God, not only do we honor our Lord or Savior, 
but we are a powerful witness to the redemptive work that he has accomplished in our lives and that he can accomplish in so many others. We know that persecution will never prevent God's work on this earth. We can trust that in the end, his will will be done, his purposes will be accomplished, his justice will reign, and his people, all of those who have rightly responded to the word of truth, will spend eternity with him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that under, that through your inspiration, by the work of your Holy Spirit, that in the midst of talking about the labor and the work that was being accomplished, that was being done within the Thessalonian church, that you acknowledged and you encouraged them, that even though they were being persecuted, even that they were being opposed, because they followed you, that was not the end of the story. That in the end, your justice will be done. And Father, I ask that you would help us to have the same mind, that you would help us to remember that you are still at work. You are at work in the lives of those who have called upon you, who you whose names you have written in the book of life, and you are at work continuing to save people, continuing to redeem people, continuing to snatch people from the gates of hell so that they may spend eternity with you. Father, I ask that you would help us to respond rightly when we are opposed for the sake of your son. I ask, Father, that as these ladies go into their groups, that they would be an encouragement to each other, that those who are experiencing persecution would take heart by the right response that the Thessalonians and that Paul had to the opposition that they experienced. I ask that you would help us to be motivated to continue to walk faithfully to, with you, that opposition would never prevent our faithful obedience to your word. I ask, Lord, that you would work in each of our lives, that we would be slow to speak, that we would be slow to anger, that we'd be quick to listen, that we'd be women who strive to honor and glorify you, even, maybe especially, in the midst of being persecuted for your sake. May each of these ladies be encouraged. May you use their time in their small groups to help them apply your word in deep and significant ways. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.